In his 2017 book, Unbelievable, Justin Brierly shares that in the 1970s, Jamie Jeremillo, a wealthy businessman, was walking along the streets of Bogota in Colombia, and he saw a young girl, a very young girl, go down a manhole cover into the sewer system. And he went home, got on his wetsuit, decided he would follow her and see where she went. He went down that manhole cover and found about 90 children living underground in the filthy rat-infested sewers. They were the youngest victims of Colombia's so-called dirty war in which government forces and paramilitary groups fought running battles across the country. In the social chaos, street kids found themselves at the bottom of the pile, often addicted to sniffing glue, involved in prostitution and suffering from disease and malnutrition. The reason for their subterranean living space was that the paramilitary gangs were killing the children who lived down the streets above. One gang member said, killing these kids is like killing lice. We call them the disposables. So appalled at the situation in his home country, Jeremillo, uh, or he became to be known as Papa Jamie, went on to rescue as many kids from the sewer as possible using his money to... to, to um, build a home where they would receive an education and grow up in a good, loving Christian community. Jerry Miller, or, Popier, or Papa Jamie, as they called him. To date, he has changed the lives of thousands of children. What an amazing story, and it's got a great kind of a happy ending there. But there are three things I want to highlight out of that story. One is the, just the reality of this world we live in, that we live in a broken, fallen, spiritually bankrupt world where there are places where kids actually congregate in the sewers under the city. That's the reality of this world. The truth, there, there is this truth here where God created us uh, and put us on the earth in paradise and then Satan deceived us and ended up uh, enslaving us in a hell right here on earth. And that's where many live. Now, the, the fact of the matter is not everyone lives in the same unjust conditions not everybody can say we live in a hell on earth but there are those that actually literally can they, they live in very unjust conditions that's why we have the term third world countries there are third world countries out there where people live in abject poverty and there's extreme injustice in that and then there is this truth that we have to acknowledge it's the fact that we who know Christ we who have the gospel we have a mandate to go into the world really and rescue those people out of their sin out of their slavery out of their injustice out of that broken system that so defines their life this morning there's that title biblical justice in a social justice world and we look here, and it's a message today really to the church, and I'll speak to us all. This will resonate with us all personally on a personal level, but this is a message to us collectively as a church today, and it's, it's really this question, what is our responsibility to the world? What is our responsibility to the society we live in? When we see all of this, uh, this abject poverty across the globe, when we see stuff right here in America, when we see unfair, unjust conditions, what is our responsibility? We live in a fallen, broken, hurting, spiritually bankrupt world that is on some level economically impoverished, racially divided, and systematically 
oppressed. And so what is our responsibility? This morning we continue our series in pursuit. And as we think about this idea of pursuit, we cannot stop and not consider this idea of the word justice and, and how justice pertains to our pursuit of the heart of God. Because justice is very near and dear to the heart of God. Here's Micah chapter 6. You might re- uh, recognize this passage. What then shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Three things, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Three things there, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. And here's the basic reality, we are called to do justice. Now the question really arises out of that is what does it mean to do justice? If I'm living in pursuit of the heart of God, what does it mean if I'm going to be a person who does justice? If I'm about the work of justice in this world, what does that look like? And I'll be honest with you, that is a loaded question in the church today. You may not think that's a loaded question, but it is. It is a very controversial question in the church today. And it's controversial because of this term that you've maybe heard of it before. It's called social justice. How many have heard of the term social justice? And, and, it's a, it's, you know, and, and the, the issue of social justice is there are some who are concerned about social justice coming into the church. They feel that, that it maybe waters down and is a threat to the gospel. There are others who think that no, social justice, it's what we're about. It's an expression of the gospel. We're supposed to be about the work of social justice. Now what is social justice? Here's just, you can't find a good definition anywhere, but this is just kind of a summary. Social justice basically seeks to address the issues of income, inequality, and poverty, racism, incarceration, government oppression, refugees and immigration, sex and human trafficking, gender and sexual discrimination. And so it wants to deal with all those things and it wants to bring a sense of equality and a sense of fairness to the world, to those who are living in unjust conditions. You might look at that and think, well, how can that be controversial? Well, the controversy kind of arises within the church, and I'm serious, you can go on the internet and you can find great debates and great division over this issue in the church. The controversy really is uh, two reasons, I guess. The term social justice has political connotations, so you can see why it'd be controversial. And then it does have some ties to communism, because the communists tried to create a social justice system where we got you know equal amount of pay and there was no disparity and so you've got some of these issues going on with this term social justice and so it it tends to be a little bit of a controversy here's the issue while we certainly want to seek justice in the world today we want everybody to be treated fairly here is the concern with the issue of social justice And it's this, how do we identify the problems and how do we find the solutions to those problems? Do we find them solely in God's word in the Bible? Do we believe that God has the answer to those issues or do we find our answers sometimes within the culture and the mainstream? Here's the other thing about social justice. Did you know any government, I mean any any community group, any government can do the work of social justice? 
They can do the work of social justice. They can try to make the world a better and more fair place. Our job as the church is we have a much higher mandate, a much higher calling than social justice, really. We have the gospel, and there's a higher calling to that. And so the question is, does social justice flow out of the gospel? How does it align with the gospel? Well, here's one thing that's kind of interesting. This might help get us a little bit going on this issue this morning is how many times does the Bible actually use the term social justice? And that might help us a little bit. So how many times do you think the Bible actually uses the term social justice? Well, actually zero. The Bible never uses that term social. It's not in the scriptures. But it does use the word justice. We'll find that a lot. And there is justice used within the context of a social sort of setting that we're supposed to do justice for the poor and we're supposed to do justice for those that are treated unfairly. And yes, we are. We're supposed to care about those kids living in the sewer underneath Bogota, Colombia. And we are supposed to. Uh, the gospel should care and show concern to those issues. Um, so here's the reality this morning. And this is how I have come to understand this as I thought about this this week. How would I approach this? Here's my conclusion. My conclusion, first of all, is I just, I'm just not going to use the term social justice in my life as, as a standard. Well, let's just get the let's just get that right out of, out of if it's got political connotations and it's controversial. Let's get rid of the term social justice and let's talk about biblical justice. And, and what would that look like? What is what is biblical justice compared to social justice? And 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 really, how do those two issues come together? What would it mean to be about biblical justice in a social justice world again we have to understand if we're going to pursue the heart of god we have to be about these issues of justice and unfairness in our world but how do we determine those issues how do we approach them here's a a big idea this morning and i think i've missed a few slides Um, but here's the big idea biblical justice is the standard of god in a world with no standard and so just i thought this was fascinating came across my mind that you think about justice in the world today right and so we look at a third world country and we look at that country and we say boy they're living in unjust conditions why are they living in unjust conditions what do we compare them to we compare them to us compared to america they're living in unjust conditions how somehow we became the standard we're not a standard The standard would be God and His Word. That would be the standard. God is the standard. There is no standard in this world. We live in a world where a lot of people don't even believe God exists. We believe, we live in a world where people say there is no right and wrong, there is no moral. So how do you have have any kind of justice in a world where there's no moral standard? That, That doesn't even make sense. I get it. So compared, some race groups compared to other race groups, yeah, they're treated unjustly. Why? Compared to us but we're not the standard and so there's there's something to this here biblical justice is the standard of god in a world with no standard telling us how to live how to treat each other and what justice truly looks like so just think about this the standard for justice is not found on the earth it is found in god it is found in jesus christ his son it is found in the word of god And the other thing too, I believe that social justice too easily operates on what would be an entirely different standard than God's word. Man just kind of makes up a standard and says this is what justice is and isn't and we are divorced from the scriptures. So, 
Going back to Micah, we're going to do two things here. We're going to look at two different passages. One passage we're going to look at, and we'll look at what justice is in relation to the heart of God. What does it mean to be about justice? And then we're going to look at justice through the body of Christ in the New Testament. What does it mean to do justice? Let me give you a passage, Isaiah 58. Here's what it says. Uh, Cry uh, aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. What are the sins of the Israelites here? Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? And here it is. Is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Three things I want you to note in this passage about being about justice. Number one is that justice, uh, God has a heart for justice. He just does. God has a heart for justice. In fact, let me just give you a bunch of random references just briefly here that show you the heart of God when it comes to the issue of justice and what it looks like in the scriptures. Okay? For instance, justice is the very foundation of God's throne. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. How about this? God loves justice. It tells us this in uh, Psalm 33. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. God loves it when righteousness and when justice lives out in an unjust world. God practices and delights in justice. Listen to this one in Jeremiah 9. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him, boast, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God is a God who practices and delights in justice. In fact, did you catch it there? He wants us to boast that our God of all gods is a God of justice. He wants us to boast in him for that. He's a God of incredible justice. Justice is practical. Psalm 82, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And one more, Zechariah 7, 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. 
Justice is practical. It is bringing justice to the lives of real people. The widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor, the weak. In fact, justice speaks up for those who have no voice. Psalm 31, open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Justice speaks up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. And that makes me immediately think of all the little babies that are aborted in the world today. And, and ironically, that is the one group that's kind of left out of the social justice debate. They're never really considered, but we would speak up for all those who don't have a voice. For those kids living under, in the sewers under Bogota, Colombia, who have no voice. Someone goes down and speaks up for them and defends them. That's the cause of justice. That's biblical justice in the world today. Now, second thing. So that's the first thing. God has a heart for justice. Just You can see that throughout Scripture. Here's the second point, is that justice is a defining quality for God. You look at what it says here about all of these, these Israelite the people here and how it defines them. Now, now it's, this is not all that matters to God, but we see that it does matter, okay? Take note of the way that God describes the Israelites in this passage. They are not accepted for their Bible study. They're not accepted for their worship. They're not accepted for their righteousness. They're not accepted for their prayers, for their humility, for their fasting, for their sacrifices. Why are they not accepted for any of these things? Because justice was missing. Because they were missing the issue of justice in their world and in their life. Now, here's the thing. It seems like they were sincere. God says, they seek me daily and delight to, delight to know my ways. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to me. And yet they were rejected. They weren't set apart by being a people who were about justice, about doing the work of justice, about, uh, about um, pushing the cause of justice forward in the world today. Now, it's not that these things don't matter. Because you can reverse it. You can take any community group today, any local government, who, who does none of those things, they go out and they do the good work of social justice, but they have no relationship with God, and they're not going to get the attention of God either. I mean, God does care that we have a relationship with Him, that we worship Him, that we live holy and righteous lives. But part of an expression of the gospel is that we go out and we do the work of justice in a world marked by abject poverty and in justice and here's the third lesson in this simple passage in isaiah um oh here, here's just a, a kind of a good parallel passage i've shared this before but listen to this amos 5 i hate i despise your feasts and i take no delight in your solemn assemblies even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings i will not accept them and the peace offerings of your fattened animals i will not look upon them Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And, and what a haunting, sobering message to really every church today. We get together and worship God and sing our songs to Him. And God says, I don't want to hear your songs if you're not a people that really cares about the issue of justice pretty powerful here's the the third lesson in this isaiah 58 passage the most sobering thing is that we can be blind to injustice because here you have a, a group of people and it seems like they're genuinely worshipers of god genuinely have a heart for god 
Their lives are marked by worship, sacrifice, humility, fasting, and prayer, and yet they cannot seem to see the injustice around them. And the injustice that they are are on some level um, uh, accountable for. Think about this from two vantage points here, about this blindness. The farther the injustice is from our world, the greater our blindness. The farther the injustice is from our world, the greater our blindness. There's injustice all around us, and it's just so far away, so far removed, we just don't see it. And because we do not see it, we just aren't touched by it. We're blind to it. Unless we go out of our way to seek it out, we just, it's in another world, it's in another country. We don't see those kids living in the sewer under Bogota, Colombia, and so we're blind to it. Now, there are times when there's that video that goes viral, right, on Facebook, and, and so we do our, our part in the work of justice. What do we do? We share that on Facebook. Everybody's got to see this, you know. That's, that's our fight for the cause of justice sometimes, and that's about as far as it goes. We pass it on along through Facebook. Now there is, there is one counter argument here. Because things do go viral today, because there are so many needs, because we see so many needs, we have to understand we can't save the entire world. We can't. Did you know when Jesus was on earth, he did not save the entire world. He just ministered to those people God put in his path. He says in John that he ministered to those that God put in his path. That God would send him people. Can we see the people God puts in our path and say, I will minister to this person God put in my path. But we can't save the world. Jesus did not save the world until when? Until he went to the cross. And then his death on the cross reached throughout the globe. But before that, he was just in one vantage, one, one city, one place at a time, ministering to the people in front of him. So I get it. We can be overwhelmed sometimes and we need to stop and say, God, who are you asking me to reach out to? And then finally, the closer the injustice is to us personally, the greater our blindness. And that's just the reality. Sometimes we can't look in the mirror and see our own failures and the issue of justice. We, we can't see our own opportunities that we're missing. And there is something we need to stop and ask God sometimes, hey, is there something I'm missing here? Are there opportunities for me to do justice and be about justice and I'm missing them? It's harder for us to see the injustice when we are treating somebody unfairly. In fact, the minute I, I bring this up, our instinctive thoughts is we can think of all the people who treat us unfairly, who treat us unjustly. And we, we, we have a harder time stopping and thinking, who am I not being or, or, or doing justice with? The Christian Human Rights Group International Justice Mission, IJM, sets a powerful example of weaving habits of prayer into their daily practices. Every staff member spends the first 30 minutes of the workday in silence for prayer, meditation, and spiritual reflection. IJM also gathers staff for 30 minutes of daily corporate prayer in addition to hosting quarterly off-site spiritual retreats and providing employees with an annual day for private spiritual retreat. This commitment may seem extravagant, especially in the nonprofit sector. But IJM CEO Gary Hagen believes prayerless striving leads only to exhaustion. I have learned just how crucial it is to settle my soul in the presence of Jesus every morning, said Hagen, who has worked for two decades to combat human trafficking and other forms of violence against the poor. 
Even though it is tempting to hurry into our work, we intentionally still ourselves and connect with our maker, the God who delights in restoring and encouraging his children. He will show us those opportunities to do justice then. And he will strengthen us. And he will not allow us to necessarily be overwhelmed by everything that we are confronted with. So, we need to be about justice we need to be about justice and, and just we just see there the heart that God has for justice in this world and what that means to you and I. But let's look in the New Testament now and ask this question. How can we practically approach, approach biblical justice as a church? How can we be about people who are doing biblical justice in a social justice world? What will it look like? How will it be a little different if we're about the issue of justice as a church? And so we'll answer this question here from the New Testament. Everything we saw was in the Old Testament. Now let's go to the New Testament. John chapter 8. Here's a great passage. You know the story. The woman is caught in adultery. And I want to look at this today through the context of this issue of justice. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin. No more. Let me give you a quick seven quick practical observations here about how we can do biblical justice. Number one, biblical justice is a work of the gospel. It just is. This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. It's, biblical justice is the work of the gospel. It is speaking up for those that have no voice. That's the reality. Let's start with this biblical understanding here about how it's tied to the gospel. Again, any community group, any government organization can do the work of social justice. We're called, we have a higher mandate, a higher calling that revolves around the gospel. In fact, the greatest work of justice is sharing the gospel. The greatest injustice are those who have never heard the gospel. Think about people in, in third world countries, in remote tribes, that have never had a Bible and never heard the gospel. There's an injustice. That's the greatest injustice of all. It really is. Now you might ask in the passage, where is the gospel in this story? How do you see justice rooted in the gospel? Well, it's with Jesus, first of all, because Jesus was all about the gospel. That was his life. The Bible says he was born for the gospel. The Bible says he lived and ministered every day of his life for the gospel. The Bible says he died for the gospel. His life was all about the gospel. But the gospel plays a prominent part in this story. Note what it says there again. They said this to test him that they might have some charge 
to bring against him. I want you to look at something. I want you to see the gospel being played out in the context of this story. Luke 15, 4. Jesus was arrested. He's before Pilate. And Pilate asked, again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. So they brought Jesus in. They had all these charges against him in this kangaroo court of all the things he was guilty for. And you know what? One of the charges that put Christ on the cross might have been this encounter with the woman. They could have gone and said, yeah, remember that time there was the woman there in adultery and he violated the law and he set her free? How many charges? They had lots of charges. They were keeping a record. They might have walked away that day defeated. But they kept their charges against Jesus. Pretty fascinating. And so right in, the, right in the story here, Jesus is living out the gospel. His encounter with this woman is the very thing that will, they will use to put him on the cross and to find him guilty of things he's not guilty of. For you and me, when we do the work of the gospel, when we do the work of justice, we're, we're simply working out our own salvation and living out the gospel. What did Micah say again? We are to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. That sounds a lot like the gospel. Justice comes out of what? It comes out of the humility and the kindness that is expressed on the cross. That's the reality. So that's the first lesson. Here's the second lesson. Biblical justice challenges the social norms. Think about this. Biblical justice will challenge the social norms. The scribes and Pharisees, they bring a woman to him. And I think what we have here, really, when you think about this, is the classic injustice narrative. What do you have here? You have the strong and the powerful. You have the political and the religious. And they're bringing this woman in and using this woman, what? For their own advantage, for their own gain. To get one up on Jesus, to find a charge against Jesus. We're seeing this sweep through right now, through the news, Catholicism, and I think it's the tip of the iceberg. I think from what I read, it's going to get worse. That what's going on in the Catholic Church and the abuse and the sexual abuse and the stuff, it's just going to get worse. And I didn't read up on it a lot, but I heard some of the stories this week out of the Southern Baptist denomination in Texas and all of the sexual abuse cases, hundreds of them. And it's a sad day when that's taking place in the church. And why is it happening? Because the powerful are protecting their own and protecting their reputation and protecting their images. And sometimes we use people for our own gain. Jesus breaks the social norm and defends the powerless, defends the person who has nothing to offer. You think about how Jesus is breaking the social norms here and think about the fact that he's also defending a woman. He's going to sacrifice the law to defend a woman. He shouldn't even be talking to a woman. They're, they're of a lower stature and class in society here. And here he is talking to this woman, forgiving her of her sins, sacrificing, breaking the law, they would say, to defend this woman. But biblical justice will break and challenge the social norms Here's the irony to me when you think about biblical justice and social justice. Here's the irony. Can I just tell you, social justice is, uh, it's just ironic. Social justice is very politically correct. It just is. Social justice is just very politically correct. It's politically correct on the issues of homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion, refugees, immigration, wealth distribution. The world loves social justice. Biblical justice, the world may not always like biblical. Biblical justice is rooted in the truth. It's founded on God's word. 
You know hell is part of biblical justice? How many think hell is uh, socially acceptable and politically correct today? Talk about offending people. Tell them there's a real hell. You know the reality is? We live in a world where, let's be honest today, everybody wants justice, right? We all want justice for ourselves. And you know what? If there was no hell, there would be no justice at all. There just wouldn't be. Biblical justice It's not always politically correct. It's not always socially acceptable. It's not always popular, but it tells you the truth. Sometimes biblical justice can be offensive. That is the reality. Bottom line, biblical justice breaks the social norms. Social justice is socially acceptable. There is a big difference there. There just is a big difference there. Biblical justice is God's standard in a world with no standard. It really brings justice, true justice, to those that are hurting, to those that are mistreated. Biblical justice number three, here's our social justice is often socially acceptable, politically correct. Here's the third one. Um, I'm mistaken, got to click ahead. Number three, biblical justice addresses man's hypocrisy. It addresses man's hypocrisy. It says here in the law, Moses commands us, The truth is, biblical justice demands we look in the mirror and that we're honest with ourselves. And another thing that's common today is that what people do oftentimes is they use the word, they use God's word for their own advantage. There are people that don't care about God at all. There are people that never set foot in a church, never read or study the word, and they will use the Bible to defend their own political or social narrative. Shouldn't do that. Biblical justice challenges us all to confront our own hypocrisy. In fact, a lot of people today, Jesus is not the savior of the world. What is Jesus? He's a social justice warrior. But that's not true. He didn't come to fight for social justice. He came to fight for the gospel, for biblical justice. He he came to show people how they could have a relationship with their creator. A few weeks back, a few months ago, I was talking about the issue of the refugee crisis and I talked about this idea of loving our neighbor as ourself. And social justice is really good at saying, hey, they're our neighbor. All those refugees are our neighbor. Biblical justice goes a step further and it demands that we not only say, they're my neighbor, oh, I'm supposed to love them too. And maybe I have to take them into my home. Maybe I have to feed them and clothe them and teach them English and help them get a job. And if I really believe that they should be coming, that's what biblical justice is. It challenges our hypocrisy on issues that we really, really, really do the work of justice, that we declare the truth, proclaim the gospel, and do the work of justice again. We can't save the whole world. And I'm not saying that the point of this is not that we're supposed to bring people into our home and we're supposed to do what God calls us to do. We're supposed to do what God calls us to do. We cannot save the entire world. We cannot do that. So people often use the word of God for their own advantage. That's not the way you use the word of God. That's not bringing true justice to the world. Uh, Biblical justice personalizes people. It personalizes people. Jesus was left alone with this woman. And the reality is, if we want to be more about doing justice in the world, we have to see individual people. 
We have to see the people that are actually hurting, the people that are broken, the people that need a helping hand, need the gospel, need the love of Christ, need our involvement and engagement. We need to personalize people. To, to, to Jesus, this woman was not a sermon illustration. It was not a way to get back at the religious leaders. This woman was an individual. And he could see in her heart, he could see the hurt in her eyes, the pain on her face, the scars in her soul. He could see all of those things about her. When he ministered, that's who people saw. He saw individuals. Think about her opening story and that Papa Jamie, right, rescued all those kids from under the sewer, thousands of kids he's rescued. And how did it start with one little girl that he saw go down a manhole cover and I'll bet you 100 to 1 if you went to him and said, do you know the name of that little girl that went down that manhole cover? He could say, yeah, her name was. I'm sure. That's what it calls for us to personalize people, to know people personally and individually. That's the reality. Biblical justice sees people as individuals and never uses people for our own advantage. We don't use people for our own advantage, but we personalize people. And that's exactly what the religious folks were doing here, using this woman for their own advantage. Number five, biblical image sees people in the image of God. It just does. This woman has been caught in the act. And the question is, when we look at those who have been used by others and abused by the powerful and refused by society, when we look at those people who are at social and economic disadvantages, the question is, what do we see? Do we, can we see past their circumstances and past their disadvantage? Can we see past the disadvantages that so often define them? Can we see, again, that real person and see who they are in the image of God? I don't think, when Jesus saw this woman, he didn't just see an adulterer. Or a, or a prostitute, he saw a real person created in the image of God who was taken advantage of by this world and he reached out to her on that deeper level. And that's how God sees each one of us, created in his image. We are his children. We are his creation. And uh, that's just the reality. Biblical justice does not, does not only see sinners, does not define people by their sins, does not define people by their social class or economic status, does not define people by how valuable or worth their worth to us personally, does not define people by their past. It sees everyone created equally in the image of God with an inerrant worth, an eternal worth that needs to hear the gospel that understands the greatest injustice of all is when Satan deceived Adam and Eve and put the whole world under the curse of sin. In fact, going even further, biblical justice, think about this. Biblical justice shows people who they are in Christ. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. John 8, 1 says, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And there is a, an element where biblical justice goes to someone and says, you need to know who you are in Christ. If you surrender to the gospel, if you can repent of your sins, if you can receive the forgiveness of Christ, he will come, he will fill up your life. You can be born again, you can be a new creation in Christ and, and you can be defined by Christ, not by your past, but you can be defined by Christ. You know, social justice, listen, it affirms people in their destructive behaviors. Social justice defines people by their behaviors. It does. 
You think about some of the issues like, for instance, transgenderism and social justice would say, just accept yourself and that's healthy and that's great and, that, and, 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 and yet people are confused in their gender and they're struggling and it's a painful thing. Biblical justice comes along and says, you need to know who you are in Christ, not in your flesh. And there are all kinds of issues like that where social justice just sells people short and does not let them know who they really are in Christ and all that they can be. That's the reality. And finally, biblical justice employs mercy, grace, and forgiveness. It does. Biblical justice employs mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. And as we said, we started saying that biblical justice is a work of the gospel. It is. It's the gospel that motivates us to go out and, and, and do justice. It's the gospel that makes justice a reality. It's, it's the gospel that makes justice possible. But here's the reality. Because biblical justice begins and ends with this issue of justice. I mean, biblical justice begins and ends with this issue of the gospel because the reality is you can't truly personally be free until Christ sets you free. Until, Christ, until the gospel sets you free, you'll never be free. Social justice can come along and, and try to deal with your poverty issue and, and it can deal with your you know, enslavement to this world. And, and, but it's the gospel that sets us free in Christ. It's the gospel that really allows us to understand justice. It employs mercy and grace and forgiveness. It, 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 is, it is biblical justice that works on our relationship, reconciles us to God. And it's biblical justice that actually wants to work and reconcile you in all of your relationships. Think about this woman here in this story. And biblical justice comes along and reconciles this woman to God through Jesus. But biblical justice would go just as far to reconcile this woman with those men that accused her. So she wouldn't live with the rest of her life with this anger and bitterness at these, at these powerful men that took... But biblical justice comes along and says there's mercy and there's grace and there's forgiveness and what they did was wrong and they may never repent but you can let that go. Biblical justice. It just does so much more than a mere social justice can do. Biblical justice begins and ends with the gospel and here's the testimony of Jesus in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to bring justice to a world of injustice, but not, that, not justice that is simply a social justice, but a biblical justice that impacts every corner, every area, every aspect, every relationship we have, everything in our life. That's the reality of the justice that God brings to us. Biblical justice is the standard of God in a world with no standard. I'll leave you with one last thing. There's this question. We, we talk about God has a heart for justice, right? And then we sit down and we say, so then why doesn't he do more about it? 
Why does God let so much injustice go on in the world if he really has a heart, if it really, burden, you know, why is there so much injustice in the world? There's two ways I can answer that and I don't have the best answers here. One is the reality of sin. It's just the reality of sin, this fallen world we live in. And then secondly, God wants to do more in the area of injustice. But the reality is today he handles that issue of biblical justice. How does he handle that? Through the church. We're the arm. We're the, we're the hands and feet of Jesus to bring justice to a world of injustice. So there is a real sense where even we have to say, okay, how do we bring justice just to our community? And we're going to be talking about that here in, in, in the next couple of weeks. I have some things to share about that. How can we reach out to our community and do the work of justice right here in Robinson Township? How does God want to use us? Because God will show us how he wants to use us and why we're here, why we're in this building. And uh, that's the beauty of it all. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the justice that comes and reconciles us back to our creator and, and, and brings us into a beautiful relationship with you through your son, Jesus. Thank you for a, a, a biblical justice that is greater than a social justice, a justice that can transform a person's eternal state and eternal life. And thank you, Lord, that you have called us to that work, that you've given us the gospel and you've given us the mandate and the challenge to go out and to bring hope and healing and to set people free. Just open our eyes to see how we need to do that, what you're asking us to do, what that looks like. And Lord, this week in our personal life, may we all open our eyes and ask you, help us see the opportunities when we can be about and can do the work of justice all around us. Help us see those opportunities and give you the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.